Hey friends, uh, welcome to another teaching episode of the podcast. Today, Melissa Marley Bonickson is our teacher, and I'm so excited for you to hear from her. Melissa is a member of the SBCC Church family, uh, and she's the Director of Leadership Formation at the University of Notre Dame's Center for Social Concerns. Uh, in her work there, she works uh, with faculty, students, staff, and community partners in collaborative projects for personal and social impact. Um, and she's just a, a deeply grounded, wise voice for us to learn from. But before we get to her teaching, it's Mother's Day, and we want to celebrate Mother's Day and acknowledge the messy, holy, complicated, painful, beautiful space that we enter into when we talk about motherhood. Um, to do that, we ask that some of you would submit some reflections, uh, whether these come from your experience um, as a mother, and again, that, that's a big word that can look traditional or non-traditional, but whether these come from your experience as a mother or as a son or daughter. Uh, and so I just wanted to share um, a few of these uh, reflections with you from different voices in our community before we turn to our teaching from Melissa. So here we go. Uh, Beth wrote, and she shared, she said, it, it took me a long time to realize that the greatest opportunity I have as a mother is to give my children and my people roots and wings. Roots to be grounded and centered in a safe place that fosters growth, depth, identity, and so on. And wings to be free and untethered. To be courageous, adventurous, creative, independent, and to flourish and soar beyond our idea of home. She said, as a daughter, I have a beautiful yet complicated relationship with my own mom. She cared really well for me physically and taught me some really lovely things about life. And yet I've always felt like the parent in our relationship when it came to our emotional and social experiences. I used to resent this dynamic. I wanted to be the child, not the parent in our relationship. Until the day when I was able to step back and realize that my life was full of other women who mentored, nurtured, and mothered me emotionally. And this realization gave me the capacity to release my mom from the expectations I had to be emotionally mothered by her. Now I get to truly appreciate and love my mom for who she is as a woman and as a mother. Cynthia wrote and said, this Mother's Day will be my first in 70 years without my mom. At age 93, she died this past December after a grueling battle with Alzheimer's. When my four sisters and I would get together, We'd talk about the things about mom that drove us crazy and those things we wished she had done better. But we all agreed that we always felt loved by her and each of us thought that each one was her favorite. Anna wrote and said, my motherness is strange. As a foster parent, I have strangers move into my home and I'm given a piece of paper from the government saying I'm a mom. My motherness is hard to explain. How do I quantify what it looks like for me to mother a teen mom when I've never had a baby? How do I celebrate the ways I step up for kids who desperately miss their biological mothers or those who wish their mothers had showed up for them and by nature of me existing are reminded of what they've missed out on? What I do celebrate is the late nights talking on the porch. I celebrate when a child I love leans their head by my lap and asks me to play with their hair. I celebrate helping with school and fighting for their best interests and learning from them. And after they leave, I celebrate that I got to be their mom for a month or two months or a year, as strange and unquantifiable as it was. And then Brittany wrote and said, 
I celebrate my mom this year because she has continuously offered love and grace and acceptance unconditionally. Being adopted as an adult has its own unique experiences. There's lots of emptiness and confusion in spaces where children from quote-unquote traditional families have learned how to love and be loved. She's filled those areas 10,000 times over and continues to show me how to be that same thing for my three-month-old little boy. My relationship with God had all but diminished to nothing a year or two before having my son. I was in full isolation mode and took to pushing away my closest family and friends all while going down a destructive path. My son didn't save me. I know God did that. But he definitely became my reason to go after my spiritual, mental, and physical health harder than I ever had before. As I celebrate my own first Mother's Day and all the moms in my life, I think it's important that we continue to acknowledge and celebrate the untraditional. There are so many definitions of mom, each of them as special and important as the other. Happy Mother's Day. So friends, uh, today we celebrate motherhood in its many forms, and we hold space for all those who perhaps feel a wound or a loss around this word. And then today in our teaching, uh, Melissa is going to help us consider the experience of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I'm so excited for us to learn from her. Uh, here she is. Good morning. I'm really grateful for the opportunity uh, when Jason asked. And so this morning we're going to be looking at uh, Mary, actually, a mother named Mary, and what we can learn from the mother of Jesus. And yes, this is a nod to Mother's Day, but I think that there are things that we can all take away from this. So before we get going, I do want to offer four important things when we think about Mary, uh, and also a fun fact. Uh, so thinking about Mary, and, I, and I'll say the historical Mary, um, four points. So the first, she's found 23 times in scripture. This is important because uh, when the writers were writing, um, the idea around women being involved in the Christian story uh, was more common, but probably not as common as first century Palestinian writings. And so when you find women popping up in scripture, uh, it's important to note that the writers are telling you, hey, this is really important. Uh, and so she is listed at least 23 times, and we're going to be skipping around to some of these passages today. Uh, in the Gospels. So we, uh, for the point number two, we do have to put uh, some lens on. And so I'm going to say we need to put our 70 BC, uh, oh, that's wrong, it's 80, 70 AD lens on. Um, and when I say that, that's because we're thinking about um, these writings, these stories, about 30 to 40 years after Jesus died. Uh, and so that's what, that's what we have. That's what the dating tells us. Uh, you know, Mark writing uh, as early as um, 70 AD and John really writing closer to 90. So um, the reason that's important is that, yes, these stories, uh, these realities have been passed on and they are coming from our memory. And so did things exactly happen this way? Uh, yeah, maybe, likely, um, but, but also maybe not. And so we have to give a little bit of um, space for that reality. So we, we do have to put on our lenses. Uh, the third piece I want to note is that she is noted in the lineage. Again, this is really key because um, whenever women are noted, uh, it's incredibly important. And so Mary is noted for both uh, the tribe of Judah, for the house of David, and also through the line of Nathan, which is um, the tribe of Levi. So incredibly important to know uh, that the writers note that of her. Um, and again, anytime that a woman's mentioned in, in the lineage, it's, it's really key. They're trying to tell you, hey, this is important and pay attention. Uh, and then the fourth point 
you know, we have what we have about Mary. Um, now, that being said, uh, she has made a huge impact on society and the church, especially uh, the Catholic Church and Catholicism. And so there's lots of things that you might think about with Mary, concepts of something um, like um, the Ascension or the Immaculate Conception. And uh, I would just like to say that there's tons of great readings out there. And so if you're curious about Mary and you want to learn more, um, I would get out there and check some of those those texts out. Um, but for today, we're just going to look at what we have of her, um, what, which is what is written and uh, what is helpful. So the fun fact is that Mary is actually really regarded highly in most of the major religions of the world, uh, especially uh, with Islam. And so Mary's actually uh, the, the most revered woman in the Quran. Uh, she's mentioned there as Miriam in uh, Arabic. And at least 50 times um, she's mentioned. She has her own chapter in the Quran, uh, a surah, uh, uh, named after her, Miriam. Uh, and then there's two beautiful honorary references that are offered for her, um, both in Arabic. And again, the first is this beautiful term that we're all very used to, Our Lady. It, she's referenced to that often. Um, and then the second term of, is really a term of endearment. Uh, and it tells us really something beautiful. They, the Arabic says, uh, sh it is she who confirms truth. Uh, and so I just think those are, that's just a cool fact to understand about how um, the Christian story um, really permeates all of the, the stories um, that exist out there. So moving on. So, so what do we learn from Mary? Uh, and so I would say that there's really three key points, and we're going to go through those today. So the first point I'll say is that Mary teaches us that acceptance is necessary to move forward. Okay, acceptance is necessary to move forward. Uh, and so we're going to start at the beginning. We're going to start at the birth narrative. Um, and again, thinking about historical Mary and putting on our lens, um, did this happen exactly as it's written? Probably, yes, we think so. But, you know, we have to kind of also just be present to what's written in the scripture. Um, you know, there's um, scholars and even feminist theologians that will say they're, they're not really sure how to understand this concept of a loving God um, making a choice for a woman without her knowledge. Uh, and so, you know, these are things that are complicated, but even within them, we can find things that are very true and, and helpful for our own journey. So the acceptance um, of Mary into her own reality of, of pregnancy. So I'm reading from Luke, uh, the first chapter, verses 26 uh, through 38. <clears throat> in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. And he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And Lord God will give to him the throne of the ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will be no ends. Mary said to the angel, how could this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel said to her, the Holy Spirit will come to you with the power of the Most High and will overshadow you. And therefore, the child will be born. It will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. And now your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who, who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible for God. And then Mary said, here I am the servant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. 
We have this very uh, familiar text of Mary being present to the spirit and to the angel uh, in this moment. And the angel offering words of compassion and understanding, do not be afraid, great comfort in this moment. Uh, But we have really simply Mary saying yes, you know, a a curious yes, questions about about the how and the why, but still um, that I am the servant of, of the Lord. Uh, If we move forward in this uh, piece and we get to Elizabeth, her relative, I think we see even more confirmation that Mary is uh, deeply accepting of this experience. Uh, So again, moving on in Luke verse 39 on, in those days, Mary set out and went with haste to the Judean town in the hill country, where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and explained with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, my child in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who has believed that there would be a fulfillment of what has been spoken by her Lord. So here, Elizabeth has been um, given her own miraculous experience, right? Once said to be barren, here now she is bearing her own son and is seeing uh, the work of the Spirit in her life. And so when Mary approaches her, uh, she understands the miraculous that's, that's going on. This is familiar to her now. And here she is confirming the reality, and Mary leans in this to accept it, into, into this and accepts this. Um, we know that uh, further down, and I'll uh, touch upon this in a moment, that Mary actually uh, goes into song. She goes into what we call the Magnificat, which is honestly the largest uh, nod of acceptance um, and uh, understanding of what is happening to her um, that we have actually on record. So these kind of interesting moments of of the beginning of Jesus's life and the pregnancy of Mary and her leaning into this experience. The second example I want to give about acceptance actually comes a little bit later. Um, So we're going to the book of Mark and actually Jesus is now uh, older, he's an adult, and he's within his ministry space. Uh, so we're in Mark 3, and Jesus is actually having a conversation with folks around him, and the conversation turns to family. So um, Mark 3, verse 31, Then his mother, speaking about Jesus, and his brothers came and were standing outside. They sent to him, and they called for him. A crowd was sitting nearby him, and they said to him, Jesus, your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside, and they're asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. So here we have this fascinating moment of the adult Jesus uh, being present to his ministry and his family's coming and they want to engage and they want to see him. Uh, Maybe if you have a family, modern day family, maybe teenagers, college students, you might be familiar with this experience of seeing your child and wanting to say hello or you have a question, uh, but maybe they are not as receptive to see you. Um, So Richard Foster, uh, so Quaker theologian, um, 
author of Celebration of Discipline, he actually gives us a little bit of background on this. Uh, The family in Jewish life was extremely important uh, and valued. So genealogies in the Bible attest to its importance. And religious instruction, economic viability, claims to land, they were all tied to family life. Families represented multiple generations and were also linked to specific tribes within Israel. Family loyalty, respect, and obedience were hallmarks of the Jewish family life. And in several places, the gospel begins to expand the definition of family in radical ways. Here, Jesus offers a definition of family that must have shocked the hearers by subjecting kinship, not to matters of biology or human loyalty, but to the obedience of God's will. The concept of an extended family has suddenly taken on very wide proportions indeed, and Jesus is not advocating hostility towards one's family, namely his mother and his brothers. Jesus is actually making it very clear, however, that loving and following God binds us together more deeply than any ties of human kinship. And so the writer doesn't necessarily tell us a lot about how Mary responded in that moment, right? But we can imagine uh, as a parent or someone who has a deep relationship with someone that there was probably some deep disappointment in that experience, right? Uh, And so what does that mean? (laughs) How do we get to acceptance there? Um, Well, we know that this is not the last moment that uh, Mary is present with Jesus on his journey. We know that she is with him all the way to the end and to the cross. And we know that not only is Mary his mother, but we find her in the position of being a disciple as well. Uh, And so we know that acceptance has come in that role, that duality of both mother and disciple. Uh, And we know that she stays for the long uh, journey. But the point of disappointment uh, actually is important, I think, right? Because um, acceptance doesn't negate disappointment. Uh, In fact, you know, one must surely make peace with disappointment before we can move on towards acceptance. And I think right now, during this time of quarantine and all that's going on, we might be feeling a lot of this right now. And so something that we uh, can take away from Mary is the acceptance, despite the disappointment. Before I leave the point, I don't, I don't want to uh, leave you in the dark about how Mary is working through this. So I am going to end actually in John and at the end of Jesus's life. So in John 19, we see the following scenario play out. Verse 25. Meanwhile, standing near the cross of Jesus were his mother, were his mother and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clophis, and Mary Magdalene. So you got the three Marys at the foot of the cross. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, this is a reference to John, standing beside her, his mother, he said to his mother, woman, here is your son. And then she said to the disciple, here is your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her, meaning Jesus's mother, Mary, into his own home. And after this, when Jesus knew that all was now finished, he said, I am thirsty. So I want to lift this up because, granted, a year and a half prior to this moment, we have Mary realizing that kinship is being subjugated, subjugated to uh, the reality of God and the purpose that, Je- that Jesus has, um, his mission in life. Uh, but we see this beautiful gift offering that Jesus gives not only to John, but to his mother as well understanding that a new relationship will form, uh, bound by deep love and commitment and relationality, 
uh, and that now, as Jesus goes on uh, to finish out his mission, Mary will be taken care of by someone that was dear to Jesus, and that that person will accept that. And again, this isn't just about a relationship. This is about economic viability and survival in society. So we have this really redeeming moment at the end of Jesus's life with his mother, who was there, who has always been there. Um, and so in these passages, I think we are able to see uh, some, some strong understanding of how Mary navigated the concept of acceptance, despite some of these difficult things. So the second point, the second thing I think we learned from Mary is that deep courage is necessary to get through difficult moments. Okay, so deep courage is necessary to get through difficult moments. So if we think about this passage in John, um, it's not hard to understand how much courage it took for Mary to stand at that cross and witness the the brutal death of her son, right? Uh, In Catholic social teaching, solidarity understands that we don't just walk with people. uh, We don't just put their shoes on uh, because sometimes we just can't, right? But that we actually walk forever. We walk these long walks even unto death, even until Golgotha, even until the cross, right? And so this deep solidarity is what we see in that image of Mary as both disciple and mother, uh, and what we see uh, with her standing there at the foot of the cross. And so the deep uh, courage that was necessary to do all of that work um, is certainly a hallmark of hers and something that we can learn from. The second point around courage, I actually want to go back to um, the birth narrative, but this time I want to go to Matthew. Um, so in Matthew's telling, we get a little bit more understanding of Joseph, and this is important. Uh, so uh, in Matthew uh, 1, verse 18, it writes this, uh, Now the birth of Jesus the Messiah took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and unwilling to expose her to public disgrace, planned to dismiss her quietly. But just when he had resolved to do this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Look, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as an angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took her as his wife, but had no marital relations with her until she had borne the son, and they named him Jesus. So I think the passage in Matthew is really important to understand the full picture of what was happening with the birth narrative. Um, So despite acceptance, what is crucial to understand is that Mary, first of all, was very young. Both her and Joseph were probably teenagers, probably 15, 17 relatively. And the idea that there would be a young Jewish woman who would be pregnant uh, in first century Palestine um, is incredibly um, important to understand how that would all play out. So she is bound by her traditions and her cultures, uh, and certainly being unmarried, uh, excuse me, unwed, and um, 
pregnant without, uh, you know, the official connection to Joseph uh, would have really uh, been grounds for her to be stoned, to be killed. And if you can just imagine uh, the image we have, right, from the Gospels where Jesus is actually um, stopping a stoning of a woman that's caught in adultery. Um, you know, so these rules and rituals that that defined her life, uh, you know, she could have been um, also... Um, it would have been easy for her community to have shunned her, right? So to force economic hardship uh, or um, disconnection, isolation, fragmentation. Um, so this was a very dangerous experience for this young woman to be in, which is why it makes the acceptance even also more amazing and inspiring. But the deep courage that is required for a young woman to navigate pregnancy, let alone uh, the possibility of death, uh, is really remarkable. And sometimes we don't always think about that, right? Um, and so it is likely that's probably one of the reasons actually why she traveled to see Elizabeth uh, and was there for her first full trimester was to seek refuge as well as help Elizabeth in the final stages of her pregnancy. Um, and so I just want to offer that note as well, right, that we see this deep courage playing out in her life there. And then finally, um, a story that sometimes we don't always um, think of connected to the birth narrative Um I want to uh, look quickly at the escape to Egypt. Um, and so in Matthew again, Matthew 2, right after um, the Magi actually visit Mary, uh, chapter 13 uh, on we find this. Now after they had left, meaning the Magi, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up and take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child and destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This is to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt, I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated. He sent, prisoner, he sent guards to go and kill all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they were no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up and take the child and his mother and go to the land of Israel, for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went back to the land of Israel. But when they heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the dis he went away to the district of Galilee and there he made his home in a town called Nazareth and so that so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled he will be called a Nazarene okay so if you heard that Mary and Joseph two teenagers traveled with their little guy in the middle of the night fleeing like refugees to Egypt to live there while Herod, a madman, went and killed all of the, the young children in that area looking for 
the baby Jesus, and that they stayed there for possibly two to three years until it was safe to go back. You're right. That is exactly what the scriptures are telling us. They are telling us of this heroic uh, moment that is sometimes overlooked in the story of Jesus and Mary and Joseph, that at one point they were refugees fleeing persecution, fleeing violence, um, and to imagine how a 15-year-old uh, was navigating these realities uh, in fear of her life and her child's life, the, the, the son of God, uh, is absolutely remarkable. And so uh, when I think of courage, I, I read this passage and I just can't help but think how much real terror and um, fear was wrapped up in these 20 verses um, and really was two to three years of their life before they were able to get back to Nazareth. Um, and uh, just, you know, geography, thinking about geography, that's about two and a half days to the Egyptian border from Bethlehem into Egypt, wherever they, you know, became present and having to take on new customs and a new life and a community while they were raising their child. And then another um, four days up to, to uh, Nazareth. Um, so it's quite uh, a story, um, quite just incredible. Um, but I think it's just so important for us to remember that was the beginning of Jesus's life, um, <laughs> which is, which is crazy, right? Um, but how wonderful, certainly that the spirit was always with them, that God was always with them to guide them and to give them uh, direction and to keep them from harm. Um, it's just a really miraculous story. All right. So finally, the third point, what can we learn from Mary? Uh, I think this is a really important point, uh, and it's all connected to the Magnificat. Uh, and the, the point is that Mary believed that a better world was possible and that we could desire it and participate in it. So I'm going to go back to Luke. Um, after um, Actually, during that visit with Elizabeth um, is where we find the Magnificat and where we have uh, Mary offering um, this, this uh, rejoiceful thought, right, after Elizabeth um, has so helpfully, you know, reassured Mary about the, the joy of caring um, of God, caring, caring God. So verse 46 uh, out of uh, Luke 1. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. And surely from now, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. And he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts in in the thoughts of their hearts, he has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. And he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And so the Magnificat is a really fascinating piece here, right? So we see a handful of things happening um, and remember so much of this is about her coming into her own understanding that she is the Theotokos, that she is now the God-bearer. She's now carrying um, the sacredness of God. 
so, you know, number one, sh- we find in this beautiful opening line about my soul magnifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices, right? So she is th- she's thanking God for the privilege of being um, this person, of being a God bearer, right? So again, a note to acceptance. Uh, and then secondly, you know, she's really calling out what she believes will not only be the work of God, but the work of her own son that bears uh, all of God's fullness, right? So Mary looks forward to God transforming the world through the Messiah. You know, the proud will be brought low, the humble will be lifted up, the hungry will be fed, and the rich will go without. You know, this might sound super intense, um, but it's a nod to a new world, right? So not the world as it is, but the world as it should be, um, where systems uh, that are oppressive are made right, and where people... Um, who have needs receive actually what they need, where hoped for expectations are actually met. Um, you know, she, now that she is in this new position, she's starting to see what is beyond her own story, right? She's seeing the story of her own son. And I don't think that's unlike parents when they become pregnant and they think of what is the the life we want for our children? What type of destiny, you know, will they have? I think we, it's very human for us to to call that out during the pregnancy or during the birth of the first couple of years, we want these things for our children. And she is really claiming that, but she's also claiming um, just a new new world, a new understanding of life, and that things will change because of, of this pregnancy, because of this child. Um, so we see Mary not only believing that another world is possible, but that p- she proclaims that this new world will come into being. And she sees herself connected to it not just physically, which is true, uh, but metaphorically as well, right? And that it will become a reality. So ultimately then, I think with the Magnificat, uh, you know, Mary really challenges the readers of the gospel um, to think about what our role is, what is our connectivity, connectivity to thinking of the world as it is and the world as it, as it should be, and certainly God's role into making that known, but also into our um, responsibility to participate and be active um, in that, right? So uh, very powerful um, reality of claiming the future and a, a world that um, is better than the world that we're in. And, you know, she was 15, <laughs> having, you know, she hasn't even gone through Egypt yet, right? So she's there's so much of her life she hasn't even lived into, and yet she's proclaiming this beauty. And so I think that's really inspirational for us and something that we can glean from. So in conclusion, you know, I just think that these are, are three things that we can see in looking at the historical Mary and the Gospels. Um, you know, again, that acceptance is necessary to move forward, um, that deep courage is necessary to get through difficult moments in life. Uh, and three, that we can believe that a better world is possible and that we can be part of that. Um, so I think, you know, it's really fitting for us to consider then these questions in light of our own lives and our own stories. Um, you know, where in our lives do we need uh, to be thinking of acceptance? You know, what, what do we need to accept, um, you know, even if it is disappointing to us? in order for us to move forward? Um, You know, where do we need deep courage in our lives in order to get through the difficult moments? Uh, Can we envision a better world? And do we actually believe it's possible? 
you know, in what ways can we participate in working towards this new world, especially now, right, in the midst of, of all that's going on. So acceptance, courage, and belief that something else is possible. And I don't know about you, but um, these are lessons that I definitely have needed uh, over the last couple of weeks. Um, and I just hope that in reflecting on these questions and, and on these moments um, with uh, the Holy Mother, that they bring you closer to understanding her uh, and, you know, the God bearer uh, and the God who asks us all to bear um, his image as well. So happy Sunday for you mothers out there, whatever that means to you. Happy Mother's Day uh, and stay well.